way that I would define mindfulness is the ability to be present in your life as the moments happen. That sounds like a big nothing. Oh my goodness, that is the hardest thing ever to do, to actually be there for the good times and the bad times. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today my guest is Dr. Mariana Klatt, an expert in stress, or to be more precise, an expert in reducing stress. This is really important for the health of cancer patients and for the medical staff here at the James and the Ohio State Medical Center and for everyone, for all of us. Mariana has developed a program here at Ohio State. It's called Mindfulness in Motion that we'll discuss and we'll end the podcast with a short guided meditation we can all do together. Welcome to the podcast, Mariana. Thank you very much, Steve, for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this because this is a topic I'm interested in and I'm trying to learn to do myself in terms of meditation and mindfulness and I struggle with, so I'm hoping this will help me a little bit, but how did you come to specialize in this area of research and in helping people? Well, it's kind of a surprise to me how it all came about, but um, I was doing my dissertation. I was totally stressed out. Uh, My husband was running for political office. We had three middle schoolers at home and I was working full time. So I was totally and utterly stressed out. I can imagine. So after... (laughs) and I'm a very, it's it's funny, but I'm a shy introverted person at my heart. And so like the political, like doing those parades, I found that so stressful. And um, after I got my doctorate as a gift to myself, I did two things. I became a yoga teacher. So I attended a yoga teacher training and I attended John Kabat-Zinn's mindful, mindfulness-based stress reduction training. And I did those two things because I recognized in myself that I was utterly burned out, overstressed, and I wanted to get back into my life. And what it's turned into fortuitously is a, a career, honestly, in doing something that I am passionate about. And it's so fun to see other people benefit from it. So two questions came up as you were explaining that. What was your PhD in? Educational policy and leadership. And it was in somatic studies, which is body, mind, and spirit and education. Oh, so perfect. And I have heard of John Kabat-Zinn and I've listened to one or two of his um, videos. And so he's considered one of, if not the, the pioneer of this, right? This whole concept of mindfulness. He is honestly the guru of mindfulness in the Western world, because what the brilliance of what he did was he took what they've been doing for thousands of years in the East, and he brought it to the West in, in language and in a format that the Western mindset could, could grasp. 
And that, I mean, talk about a contribution to the world. Huge. Yeah. And that's what we're going to get into right now. So, but first, even to understand that, let's talk about stress, the stress that you were going through as a, a mother of three, as a full-time job. Your What was your husband running for and did he win? Yeah, <laughs> uh, he did not win the first time, but uh, he has since won. He, he's an appellate judge in um, state of Ohio oh. and um, he has been a judge for many, many years now. But that first campaign, oh my goodness, first that one. was stressful. <laughs> so, but talk about stress, what it does to the body, what it does to the mind, how it can in, impact health and and then I guess we'll get into what it can do to people undergoing something like cancer. Sure. So stress has a global effect on us in ways that we don't even know. It affects our cognition, our ability to focus on what we need to focus on, what's important to us. Uh, physiologically, it has a cascade of negative effects. Um, because it leads to inflammation in the body. It, it is totally tied with that, which impacts people's immune response. So all of those things are reasons for people to put some time and energy into focusing on how they can keep their lives not stress-free, but how they can keep their lives um, focused in a way that they can be calm and with equanimity respond to the events in their lives. If, if a person can do that, they can get through anything. But that's the hard part, right? Because the hard part is identifying the stress in your life and reducing it because we all have it, but mm -hmm. we need help, which I guess is why we're, we're having you as a guest to help us recognize and deal with it. Because so many, I mean, life is always filled with stress. And in this past year with the pandemic, uh, even more so. There was one pivotal moment where I knew for sure that mindfulness works. I was in the waiting room. Uh, my husband had a cancer surgery, actually. That was a huge surprise. And that the surgery itself went on and on way beyond where the surgeon had predicted the length of it. I was out of my head. I, I was so worried. And at that moment, I thought this is awful, but I am here and I can deal with this. And it was almost like a, an epiphany that it actually truly makes a difference at the hardest points in your life. And, and since that moment, I feel like whatever comes at me, comes at us, we can do, we can handle. And that confidence is something that's irreplaceable. Not that it's not hard, but we can do it. That's a great point that I hadn't thought of is that once you have some tools to deal with stress, it gives you the confidence to deal with stressful situations as they arise. And that confidence in itself is like half the battle. So in AA, 
It is the belief that other people have gotten beyond their alcohol addiction. That is a big factor in change, in the ability to change. And so with stress, the belief or confidence that you can uh, respond to the events of your life is a game changer. Wow. Now, some, a word you said sort of set off the red lights in my head. Stress causes inflammation. And we've had several James uh, physicians and researchers come on and talk about there is a, some sort, they don't know exactly why, but there's a direct link between inflammation and increased cancer risk. So mm-hmm. right then and there, reducing stress sounds like it can reduce your cancer risk. Anything that's related to inflammation, including Alzheimer's. Yeah, the, it, the yeah. inflammation seems to be the, the great undiscovered mystery ailment that causes a lot of problems. And it's not acute stress. It's the chronic nature. When, when somebody's under chronic stress, that's what causes the increase in inflammation. Wow, you, you make me think of my days as a newspaper reporter, like every <laughs> day at four or five and six o'clock as the deadline is coming and you can't get phone calls returned or the information you need. So I had like a, a three hour window of acute stress every day for many years. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it becomes chronic. But, but another thing about mindfulness that it can help is recognizing when we're under that stressful situation, being able to utilize the stress to perform better. So it's like taking advantage of the stressful situation to enhance your response to the stress. I know that sounds contradictory, but that also is a very important tool in one's mindfulness toolbox. So the word mindfulness, we hear that word a lot these days. It's become very much a popular word, perhaps a misunderstood word. So explain the concept to us and what it is and how you teach people to be mindful. So probably the most common question I'm asked, what is the difference between meditation and mindfulness? And the way that I would define mindfulness is the ability to be present in your life as the moments happen. That sounds like a big nothing. Oh my goodness, that is the hardest thing ever to do, to actually be there for the good times and the bad times. So how does meditation relate to that? Meditation is one way to train yourself to become more mindful. So in meditation, the goal is not to clear your mind of thoughts. It's to notice what thoughts come up, not engage with them, and let them go. Now, you may choose to come back and deal with those thoughts later, but most people are not even aware of what dominates their thoughts. And once you start to become aware of the thoughts that keep coming up for you, it's at that point you can either choose to keep those thoughts or redirect them. So I think this is important and, and I wanna make sure I understand it. Can you talk a little more about that difference between mindfulness and meditation? Because when I think of meditation, and in fact, I've, when I do it, you, you sit quietly on the floor or in a chair 
and you do either a breathing technique or a visualization. So that's meditation. What exactly then is mindfulness? How is that different? So your description that you just gave of meditation it is are some ways to meditate, and it is more of a formal practice. By doing that formal practice, it encourage it encourages informal practice during your whole life. So I I consider cooking dinner every night part of my meditation practice. The creativity, the the excitement, uh, it leads to a mindful practice of actually being there, seeing the colors of my food, um, what we're making for dinner, the the delight that we'll get in in sharing that meal, and then so, and then eating it slowly so you fully <laughs> enjoy it, right? Mindful eating is the practice that healthcare professionals actually of all the different practices that I teach time and time again, they come away with saying mindful eating was the best practice for me to come across. Yeah. That's the one I struggle with. (laughs) And, you know, and maybe this is another example that I've I've thought of lately, emptying the dishwasher, Mm -hmm. which sounds like a mindless task, but it's not. And I, my mind is racing and I'm doing it too quickly and things are clanking and I'm getting a little anxious. And I say to myself, slow down, what's your rush? And, and is that an example? I'm like literally household tasks like emptying the dishwasher or folding the laundry, relax Absolutely. mindfully. Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates do their own dishes. And the <laughs> reason for that is because they use it as a mindfulness practice. Yes, I, I've started doing that. Like how I, I do it as slow as I can and try not to like hit one dish into the other. So I didn't even realize I was doing a mindfulness practice. And that, you're right, and that hopefully seeps into all your life. So you're just able to be in the room. My wife has a saying, it's be here, be now, that she always says to me, because I'm always thinking of what's next. And she's right. Be here, be now. Wow. Okay. So meditation typically starts with having people watch their breath. And the reason for that is we all breathe. It's, it's something that we all have within our bodies. Um, It is both automatic. It can be both automatic and intentional, but if you just watch the automatic part, it, it gives you something to focus on. And that's, Oftentimes why meditation practice starts with watching one's breath, but it's not about watching your breath. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. Now that we understand the importance of mindfulness, mindfulness and meditation and the difference, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Mariana will fill us in on some of the clinical trials and research that she and her team have done with patients at Ohio State. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At the James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. 
we're back with Mariana Klatt, and we're going to dive into her Mindfulness in Motion program, the research behind it, and how it developed into a, a really effective program for a lot of people. So, Mariana, fill us in. What's Tell us a little about the, the research, the clinical trials you did, and, and what you learned, and how you're using that. Sure. So in 2004, I, I kind of combined the stuff that I learned from John Kabat-Zinn and from my yoga teacher training. That's where the title Mindfulness in Motion comes from, because it's a blend of mindfulness and yoga movement and also relaxing music in the background. So I put it together as an eight-week class community building class with others, but with individual practice delivered via a website in between each of the weekly one hour classes. So what I did was I tried to make it more pragmatic, more user friendly for just regular people. So I've got four tracks of the research. One is just for busy adults, just for people that are stressed out in their regular lives. The second is for cancer survivorship. For anybody that is dealing with cancer or has a loved one dealing with cancer. The third track is for healthcare professionals. And that means anybody who works in a health system, somebody in marketing, finance, um, an environmental service, worker. It is for everybody because I consider everybody a healthcare professional. And then the last track is for college students, actually, who are very stressed out. Um, so I have a class called the Mindful College Student. So, wow. So there's, and it, is what you do with these four groups different based on the research you did? It is sculpted specifically for that group. The, the main core is the same. But I talk about the specific stresses for the specific group. And I think that because it's individually sculpted, I think it makes a big difference. So if, we, if you were to discuss a little more in detail the one for cancer patients and their caregivers, people can, who might not fit into that group, who might be busy adults or um, college students or healthcare professionals, they can take something from that? as well? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So can mm -hmm. you do, can you walk us through the program for cancer patients and their caregivers, what that sure. includes? So actually, um, the study that we did on cancer survivors and their caregivers was in 2019 that that paper was published. And we ended up getting significant differences in sleep quality, perceived stress, and increases in resilience. So all three of our measured outcome measures were significantly different from the beginning of the eight weeks to the end. Interestingly, it was the caregivers who ended up sleeping better. Their sleep quality was <laughs> increased even more than their loved one uh, who was dealing with cancer. And I could relate to this because if you're not the one with cancer, but you're the family member, 
it, it is harder to, to get to sleep because you're worried about the person that you love. You, and you feel like you're on call 24 hours a day. And if you go to sleep, you could miss something, right? And you can't do anything about it. Yeah. You're not the one with the disease. So it, it was so fascinating for the caregivers to hear each other in the class talk about about their struggles and the commonalities between the struggles. The, the other main thing about the cancer survivorship class is I think people come away recognizing the way they deal with their cancer diagnosis is the same way they have dealt with every other stress in their life. So it's, it, it takes away the, the, the otherness of the cancer and it, and it just makes it another thing they're dealing with in their life. And I think that's part of the reason that it makes it more doable. It, it, it breaks it down into something I can do. I can deal with this. Now, what would actually go on at this class or a session? How would you um, help someone? So here's the outline of the hour. The first 10 minutes is a, a reflection. So I've got this all, it's very criticalized. So the first 10 minutes, people write down a response to the theme of the week. And I've got various questions, okay? And then for the next 10 minutes, there's a voluntary sharing of those responses. During that sharing of responses, that's when the community happens. And it happens both when we do the classes in person. And now I can say <laughs> it happens over Zoom because for the past two eight-week sessions, we've had to do it over Zoom. Then I give a lecture about the scientific background of the etiology of stress, where, where stress comes from and what it does to your body. And then a 20 minute experiential practice, a mindfulness practice that relates to the weekly theme. And we get that all done in an hour and people walk out feeling differently. And then the individual practice that they do on their own from the website during the week mimics what we have done in class as a group so that they're familiar with it. And one of the things I find fascinating, and I don't think I knew a couple of years ago before I started doing this, is I thought clinical trials involved new chemotherapy or immunotherapy drugs that you give to people. But this is an actual clinical trial that is funded that has, and you can hopefully fund it, and that you can analyze the data. So how do you analyze your success? So we looked at the difference between pre and post scores that the cancer survivors and their caregivers filled out. So it was self-evaluation in terms of surveys. It was not a randomized controlled trial. It was a pilot to see if it worked having the survivor and the caregiver in there together. And it, in fact, <laughs> I would always now do it together. So we had 25 participants. Um, and then I had a statistician who looked at the results comparing the pre and post scores on 
sleep quality, perceived stress, and resilience. But the, the thing that I am always most excited about in terms of research results is the increase in resilience. How do you, how do you quantify that? It's called um, Connor Davidson's uh, resiliency score. And uh, it's a validated survey that gets to a person's propensity to be resilient with the things that come at them in life. So I'm guessing that the first benefit is just sort of the relief these patients and their caregivers have that there's someone out there who understands what I'm going through and can help me. And then the next benefit is what they learn. Mm -hmm. And I will say in the cancer survivor group, they are totally into the science of this stuff, almost more than the healthcare professional group which is so funny. Um, they always have a million questions about, well, now tell us about this study that was done with cancer survivors and mindfulness. And yeah, so of all the groups, well, I started out actually with the cancer survivor group. That was my first, uh, it was over at East and I loved it. And it was for James Care for Life. And that was before I did it as a research study. I was just doing it as programming. And then over the years, it has in, evolved into research on these four different groups. Yeah, cancer patients seem to just have this determination and willingness to work hard and try things to get better. Well, one of the things that is so cool is the different participants talk about what they do to keep their mind right, yeah. what they do to keep their bodies healthy. And, and it's a different, it, they don't view having cancer as being unhealthy. It's like, how do you be well with cancer? And, you, and so it changes sort of the paradigm. I don't have to get rid of the cancer in order to feel like I'm doing well. Yeah, that, that whole concept of having the best quality of life I can for as long as I can. It's, but it's, the reality is we're all in that situation. It's just that it's, it's more apparent to them because they have a diagnosis. So I always like to ask people this, particularly maybe someone who's working on immunotherapy or a new kind of drug or treatment to look into the future and predict what will happen and how what they're working on is going to hopefully help a lot of people. So we're still in many ways in the early stages of what you do more. So I think perhaps in just in, indoctrinating and into the world more so than developing the practice, you've developed a great practice, but perhaps it's not fully accepted. So what do you see happening five, 10, 15 years from now is, is this whole concept of mindfulness and your mindfulness in motion practice, is it going to be everywhere? And it's not even something we think about. It's just something everyone does at work or on their own. Well, I don't know about that, but what I do know is that I can't fulfill the requests that I get from other hospitals. And for, for like cancer survivors, I, what I would like to do is scale the program. 
So for the healthcare professional, I've ended up filming the practice and the scientific background and then have trained the trainer. So other facilitators deliver the program now. So I have physicians, nurses, MPHs who deliver my program. That has worked out great. I would like to do that 10, 10 years down the road. What I would love to see is that I got funding so that I could film that for cancer survivors who are in rural areas so that they could do it via Zoom or so that they would have the same access that people in metropolitan areas have. Yeah, that would be great that everyone has access to this. Wow. So I'm going to do a little something different here. Now, Paul, my co-producer and the sound engineer on this podcast, is I met you through Paul. He hosted a weekend meditation retreat that he invited me to. And it was a silent retreat, so we couldn't really talk. But it was great. And Paul, you have a question for Mariana. I did think of a question, Mariana. Um, I was wondering about when people find that they had a profound experience with uh, the things that you share with them and the techniques that you introduce them to. Do they ever express some a need to go deeper? And how often does that happen? And, and if so, where do you direct them? So that happens actually a lot. And people send me emails about like that kind of stuff. And when they email me, then we talk about ideas for a future booster. And oftentimes they inform what we're going to do as a group together at the hospital for the next monthly booster. Now, um, I haven't really had people ask about going deeper into meditation. They just, I think they just, I, I'm sure pe some people do that. Um, and they talk about different groups they're part of um, as part of the, like if they're part of the weekly meeting um, and then that's shared that way, or I send them like, oftentimes people want to get trained in the mindfulness. So, and if they're not a healthcare professional that wants to deliver my program, I show them some different programs at Duke, or um, I have a student who actually now is a mindfulness teacher at Nationwide Insurance and she does Monday mornings, mindfulness with Madeline. And I helped her find a training program that she is now going to delve deeper into so that she then can go on and teach others in a different industry about mindfulness. So you're like, the, you're like the Mariana Appleseed of this and you're <laughs> spreading all out over the country who are going to spread the importance and lessons of mindfulness. I have some great students is all I know. Okay. So let's do an, an exercise. Let's, can, can you lead us through a mindfulness practice? Sure. Happy to, because I always enjoy doing these myself. So, and half the time afterwards, I think I needed that. I don't, I don't have the most comfortable seat here, but I'm going to, Try to get as comfortable as I can. Okay. So if everybody who's listening, if you're comfortable closing your eyes, go ahead and close them. And if not, 
just allow your eyes to go down looking towards the floor if you're not comfortable closing them. And begin by bringing your attention to your feet, putting your feet flat on the ground and bringing your attention to the temperature inside your shoes, moving your toes around and just relaxing your feet into the floor, the floor that's supporting you. We never think about our feet and yet they're so important to carrying us through life. Bringing your attention to your knees and your thighs. Totally allowing the weight of your thighs and your torso to sink into the seat of the chair and relaxing your belly. Totally letting go of your belly. We hold ourselves in there so much. Bringing your attention to your palms. If they're touching your thighs, becoming aware of the heat between your palms and your thighs. And without moving your shoulders, don't move them at all. Just notice where they are in the space that your body's occupying. And then gently take your shoulders up towards your ears, rolling them back and down so that your elbows come closer to your hips and your shoulder blades are more flat against the back of the chair. And what that does is open up your chest a little bit to allow for more air in your lungs. Without changing your breathing, bringing your attention to the rise and fall of your chest, noticing how your back ribs and side ribs move with every breath, opening and closing your lower jaw so that your mandible joint cannot hold tension your jaw joint that oftentimes holds so much tension for us and leave your lips parted just a little bit because if your lips are parted, your mandible joint cannot hold tension. Relaxing the muscles of your face and your eyes within their sockets as if your eyeballs are in hammocks being held up by something else. Bring your attention back to your belly and notice whether or not it's still relaxed. Probably not, mine was not. With a deep breath in through your nose, Take your shoulders up towards your ears this time, which is going to sound counterintuitive. Drop your hands, drop your fingertips towards the ground and drop the back of your head to the top of your shoulder blades and bring some tension in that area between the top of your shoulders and the back of your skull. Hold all the tension 
of whatever's going on for you right in that place. Hold it, hold it, and then drop it all at once. Drop your chin to your chest, relax your belly, allow your hands to come back into your lap, take your chin parallel to the ground, relax your belly one more time, Take a deep breath in. Exhale through your lips. Relax your shoulders. Bring to mind something you've already done today that has added to your well being. Is it a conversation you had? Is it what you ate for breakfast? Was it getting a good night's sleep? What are the things that help you keep well and you've already done today? Maybe it's listen to this podcast. Take a deep breath in. Fill up your entire lungs, shoulders up towards your ears, roll them back and down. Exhale through your mouth. Gently open your eyes. And thank you, Steve, for allowing me to lead that. Thank you. That was great. And as you were at the end, when you were saying to think about something you were grateful for today, I'm grateful for this time I got to spend with you and Paul. <laughs> Me too. So thank you for, for sharing and filling us in on the importance of mindfulness and its connection with meditation and the basics of what we can do to incorporate it into our life. Well, thank you, Steve, because I think there's a lot of benefits and it's just so fun to share as part of a community. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.